Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I was actually looking forward to the All-Star Game last night, and for one main reason. And that reason, of course, was Shohei Otani. I want to see this guy bat leadoff as the DH, and then I wanted to see him take the bump, toe the rubber in the bottom half of the first inning. But first, I had to suffer through some very MLB game moments, very MLB all-star game moments, like Peyton Manning throwing out the first pitch. Have you seen this? If you haven't, you should. It's bad. I mean, really bad. This guy rolls out there wearing a Larry Walker jersey and shorts with a baseball glove and goes into some sort of herky-jerky delivery. And he bounces the ball to the plate. Like, I know my man went all noodle arm late in his career. Couldn't push the ball downfield. Couldn't even push it to the sideline. But that right there was not about a noodle. That's not about a noodle. That's not a hard throw to make. That, that was not a noodle. That was just pure, unadulterated awfulness. No, not quite Mariah Carey awful or 50 Cent awful. But throwing things is not their job. That's not how those two get paid. Peyton's job was to throw things. Yet he gets up there last night and he looked like he'd never thrown a ball of any sort in his entire life. He did to that pitch what Fergie did to the National Anthem. The only thing missing was Peyton shouting, Let's play some baseball! Luckily, we finally did get some baseball in. And it was pretty awesome to see Otani lead off the bottom of the first by lacing a ball to the right side. Right into the shift. That's right, the shift. The shift in an all-star game. Like, are we cool with that on any level at all? A shift in the all-star game. I mean, I guess you can. But just because you can doesn't mean you should. And that's not exactly the hill that I'm going to die on. But a shift in an all-star game feels like trying to call a shot clock violation in a pickup run. I mean, pretty lame. Either way, Otani comes back out in the bottom of the first. He works a 1-2-3 inning. He hits triple digits on the gun, and he ends up being the winning pitcher in that game. And again, I I know I've hit on this every single day this week, and I'm going to hit it on again right now. Just because the guy makes it look easy and normal does not mean that it's easy and normal. Nothing about this guy is normal. This dude is not like the rest of us. He's not even like the rest of them. He's not like anybody who has ever picked up a baseball or a bat, ever. I mean, it's amazing. And if last night was your first opportunity to see this guy and get your first taste of the Shohei experience, he's not just an incredible talent. There's just something else about this guy. He's got that it. He's got that it. He's a star. He brings the energy. He brings the juice. Something that this particular sport has tried to quash for years. Good thing is, he was on full display, and it was not only about Otani. No, it was also about those uniforms. And I'm not that guy. I usually don't give a damn about uniforms. I don't get caught up in that. But I'm here to say, man, they were awful. They were awful. So awful that I'm actually taking the time to reference them. When normally that would be the last thing I would care about and do. 
And don't get me wrong. I'm all in favor of anything that brings baseball into the 21st century. Hell, I'd be pumped if they came up with things to make it the latter part of the 20th century. But those uniforms are not it now. I mean, I know they might have been trying to channel a little bit of that travel ball vibe with that look. But you know what it looked like? It looked like a bunch of grown-ass men, grown-ass professionals, running around in footy pajamas. The only thing missing was that giant button flap on the ass. I mean, imagine if that was like your first all-star game, right, as a player. You'd always, I mean, I talk to guys all the time. Like, what was the first time like? What was it like to show up as an all-star? What was it like to be in that clubhouse? Who did you seek out? Break it all down. Imagine you're that guy. Imagine that not only is that your first time, but nothing's guaranteed. What if it's your last time? What if you never go back to another all-star game again? And that's the gear you end up with? Yeah, like, congrats on having a great first half of the season. Now go ahead and throw on this dark blue janitor's jumpsuit. And go play some ball on the big stage. Good news is, talent rises above even bad pajama-like uniforms. Like, take Vlad Guerrero Jr. No matter how bad that look was, it was not going to stop that guy from wearing that gear and still being able to do this. the 200th home run in all-star game history and you could have chopped that up into two 468 feet i understand that the ball travels pretty well there but that was a bleeping bomb but of course the kind of home run you would expect in an all-star game in denver from a guy who is battling for the triple crown and yet the moment was kind of jacked up because the announcing team was talking to Fernando Tatis Jr., who was in the field, and trying to get him to say something to Vlad as he rounded the bases. You talk about trying too hard. Why don't we take a moment and talk about these attempts to mic up guys? Talking to guys in the field, I'm all right with that. That's fine. It's a little weird, though, to be talking to a guy while he's working, but I see the thinking behind it. You want to let us in. I get it. Trying to talk to guys, though, when they're stepping into the batter's box, that's different. That's gimmicky as hell. And that's part of the thing that's been weird about the MLB All-Star game in recent years. It always feels so freaking gimmicky. Gimmicky. And nobody likes gimmicky little bitches. Gimmicky little bitch. And no, that's not a shot at you, Lef. I've defended you as somebody who's not a gimmicky little bitch. Gimmicky. So I'm going to go on record once again. Left to me is not a gimmicky little bitch, but that does not mean that gimmicky little bitches don't exist. Because they do. And far too often, they show up in Major League Baseball games. Like they've got the All-Star game, and it's most like a normal game, but then they make guys play it in pajamas, or they come up with something lame like, this time it counts. Or then they make some bizarre gimmicky little bitch complicated rules for the home run derby and now you've got miking guys up while they're trying to actually do their job again i'm fine with it in the field but in the batter's box you're not just miking them 
You're giving them an earpiece and you're trying to have a conversation as the guy's digging in. Somebody's about to throw a rock in the high 90s. That's not the time to be chopping it up with people. Like NBA in-game interviews with coaches can't believe how awkward and cringy those moments were. Those moments in the batter's box where the guys either couldn't hear the broadcast team or pretended they couldn't hear the broadcast team or didn't want to hear the broadcast team. Cringy as hell. I was all about to give up on the entire thing and spend most of the take on it, but then somebody hit ale closer, Liam Hendricks, with a mic. Now that was good. That was smart. That was gold. I mean, yeah, it's still really weird to have the play-by-play guy trying to talk to him when he's trying to close out a game, but weird suddenly becomes awesome when this happens. Liam is wearing a microphone. I don't know if Liam can hear us. Can you hear us, Liam? No, we'll leave him alone. Going over the signs with Zunino. This is what the people want. You're mic'd up. No, it's not working. Oh, really? I haven't heard a thing all What do you want to do? Uh, Chase two, shake the same. Okay. Well, the mic's working, the earpiece isn't. (laughs) And how about Zunino knowing what's up, saying give the people what they want as they go over the signs with a runner at second base. Yeah, why don't you give the people what they want? In fact, Liam was about to do exactly that. Like, I'm not sure there was a technical difficulty that meant that he couldn't hear the booth or there was a philosophical difficulty and he just refused to hear the booth or promised not to hear the booth or pretended. But it felt like somebody letting a call go to voicemail, right? But once the inning got going, so did Hendricks. Maybe his earpiece didn't work, but his mic sure as hell did. Check this out. 2-1 pitch. Low and inside. Here was his reaction. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Give me some more of that. Give me, give me some more of that. Got that grunt and then the GD bomb. I don't need guys having a conversation, but I would definitely take more of guys being pissed off when things don't go their way. And Liam was about to give us even more. That's what I'm talking about. Now we're getting nice. That's outstanding. It's like the grunt when he lets it go, and then all the profanity. Like that redeemed that whole microphone thing, which I thought was the worst thing ever. Hell, you want to know what? It redeemed the entire night. Liam Hendricks going with GD bleep this after missing on a 1-1 pitch was so good, it actually made those pajama uniforms tolerable i'm here to tell you right now if mlb wants to make some extra cash and you know they always do they should mic up every guy and give an unedited pay-per-view feed for 50 bucks a month i would happily pay for that best money i've ever spent i would do that every single month you know why you're going to get things like this if liam Hendricks is cussing like that in a meaningless exhibition I can only imagine what he and the other dudes are saying in games that actually matter. So Shohei started the game by making history. Liam ended the game by making history. Maybe Manford can change some more rules so Shohei can close the game out too. But I want to say, if that mic thing is going to stay, if that is something that's going to stay, how about we mic the pitchers the rest of the season while the umpires come out to check for spider attack in their ears and on their pants? Yeah, I want to hear that. That I'd pay for.
Not only will I watch baseball even more than I do right now, I will happily watch it and I will pay extra. These guys be like, Jesus Christ, it's just sweat. They'll let the ball go. Umpire's like, all right, let me check your glove. Let me check your hat. Let me check your belt. Let me check your sweat. GD, blue, it's just sweat. Hey, you want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, even more amazing when you consider all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes, discover.com slash yes, 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. My guest is Carl Lawson. Carl, good to have you on. How are you? I'm great. How about you? Good, good. So, dude, do this for me if you don't mind. Take me back to the start of free agency. I'm really curious, and I ask everybody who goes through the process, what kind of thoughts were you having going into free agency, and then what was it about the Jets that made you feel like that was the best fit for you? Um, my thoughts really just going into free agency that I was, you know, I was, uh, was going to make a lot of money. Um, that was kind of like the first thing that, you know, came to mind as far as that process but I mean I was really looking for like you know the the best fit for me to, to you know to be uh as productive as I as I possibly could be and that was kind of like the, the two things that were just going through my mind I knew I was for a long time you know if I got to whatever that point was as you know the the film that I had put out was gonna warrant a, a good contract enough to be able to provide for my family by the way, good answer, Carl. I appreciate that. Like, what was I thinking? One, I was thinking I was going to get paid, and that's always a good feeling. You know, I, I bring this up because, and I'm not saying that it's counterintuitive, but you made another interesting statement about money that I thought that I really liked. You said that part of the approach, though, was, quote, I don't want much as a person. I like to work out, watch anime, and eat. That don't cost a lot of money. The things I really want in life, I want to be an elite player. There's no amount of money that you can give me. I want to get that myself. So what I want to ask you is this. When you talk about, I know I'm going to get paid, is it the respect that comes along with the money? How concerned were you about that? Or maybe not worried at all because you want to keep things simple. I wasn't really worried at all because, unfortunately, I play a position that's a premium. So even the guys who aren't like, I'm like, I think like people who are rotational guys on a position make millions and millions of dollars. So it was never, people ask me all the time, like, oh, you going on a contract year? Are you stressed? And I'm like, no, why would I? You know what I'm saying? It's not like I'm playing, you know, a, a non-premium position. So I never had any stress of it. I just want to be able enough to, to provide for my family. So, but the only thing I stress about, like I said in the quote, is just being able to be a, an elite player and get to that point. Cause I just, Cause I love the game, you know? So, um, yeah. That's another good answer. I like that too. So if being an elite player is the thing, obviously you want to be in the right organization in the right scheme, the right fit, the right coach, the right, all of that. What did you like about the jets? What made you feel like that was the right place for you to accomplish all those goals? Well, I, you know, I kind of beforehand, before even free agency started, I kind of like saw like, you know, that the Salah had got the, the job there and, uh, they play in a textile front where it's just, the, the four horsemen just go and go and get it. And I, and pretty much like, I mean, for like eight years, even kind of like, you know, 
Um, I haven't really been in a scheme where it's just kind of more just D-line friendly. You know what I'm saying? It's attack. It's not. It's it's more so focused on letting the defensive line be productive. And I'm like, that in itself was very intriguing. Um, also, I mean, my family is from New York, really. My dad was – my dad's from Jamaica, but they moved to New York, and my mom is from New Jersey. So there's ties up there as well. So, I mean, that's kind of the stuff The scheme-wise. I'm just like, hey, I want to go play. You know, like, there's a lot of great players in history, but, you know, um, there's there's scheme that went along with it to to bring out the traits that they have, and I and I just believe that that was um, that was something that could that could work for me as well. Right, fit matters. Fit's important. What about Sala, who you mentioned? Robert Sala's taking over as head coach. I've spoken I've spoken to so many guys that have played for him in San Francisco, and almost to a man, they love this guy. They love him. What are your early impressions of him? Uh, everything that you've heard, you know, it's, you know, if there's, there's reputation goes a long way, and if everybody's saying the same thing about his leadership, his attitude, his consistent energy, he, his his passion for it, he teaches uh, he teaches us a lesson each and every single day. Uh, comes in as being consistent. Um, that's the type of that, that swagger, that type of thing you want to play for. But I mean, I don't really have to keep going on it. Like you said before, everybody you talk to has pretty much said the same thing. Um, only thing you know, um, there's nothing really different. You know, he is how he's. He seems in an interview. He is how he he's uh he's talked about. So that's all I can yeah. ask. And that a coach is going to shoot you straight. Always be straight with you too. So fans are always going to focus, Carl, on sack numbers, right? But you get after the quarterback. You hit the quarterback. You hurry the quarterback. Obviously, you'll take the sacks. They do matter. But are the sacks really the best way of measuring a pass rusher's impact on a game? Yes and no. Because like, all right, because. Everything in the NFL is about tiers. So if you're playing, if you're if you're looking at overall just production and stuff like that, no, they do that matter. But if you if you're somebody who sits there and warns, hey, I want to be the best, I want to do that, then you need to improve upon your sacks, no matter the cause. And um, so yeah, if that answers your question, you can't judge somebody based off of sacks as far as how productive they are. But if you want to get to that elite status where you're considered an elite defender, then you need to convert those pressures into sacks, if you get what I'm saying. And, um, and I'm confident that I'll be able to do that because I feel like I've been a very, just what I've had tons of limiting factors to just, to just go against me and still be highly productive. So I'm excited and I'm still improving. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm extremely optimistic. Carl Lawson joining us for a few more moments. So you're going to rush the passer in the AFC North, which means you're looking to take down guys like Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, who, uh-huh. who, who is the toughest in that group to bring down in your mind? I mean, I'm not in the AFC North anymore, but the toughest person. No, no, I'm sorry. No, when, when, I mean, when you were, when you were. When I was there as a, you said who was the, who were the quarterbacks again? You said Baker, Lamar, Lamar and Ben. Big Ben. And, and who was Ben? Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd have to say Big Ben. Big Ben was always the one that was eluding me for a long time, um, and it was perfect to get him on my exit. Big Ben just for my time there was like he literally just threw, throws the ball away, or he just too he was too big to to bring down, or something happened. So I mean it was it was Big Ben. Big Ben for sure was like the hardest quarterback in sack. I got it. Carl Lawson, my guest. Let me ask you this. A few weeks back, you also posted a video. You training, you working on your hand fighting in particular. I thought that was pretty cool to see because that's not something fans get to see when they're watching at home. What are the keys to being good with your hands? And then how does that set you up for the rest of the play? 
Um, you know, good with their hands is in order to get to the quarterback, the offensive lineman is going to try to put his hands on you. And he can do that in a multitude of ways. So I train a multitude of ways to beat his hands, per se. And we have a saying in D-line that says, beat the hands and you beat the man. And once you beat the man, you get to the quarterback. You get your ultimate goal. So uh, I just train to, you know, to beat the hands. So your girlfriend, Rachel Dinkoff, made the Olympic team in the discus. What's it been like to watch her pursue that dream, realize it, and then how much pride do you have in what she's accomplished? Oh, that's awesome. I get to go around and say I'm a girl's an Olympian, you know? I mean, that, that, that's the ultimate pride. I'm like, yeah, what's your girl doing? But nah. Um, <laughs> right. But, but nah, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome, man, because, I mean, it's like we're both driven people. We're both focused on our craft, and um, it's just great to see. It's just like, you know, uh, you kind of want to, you know, be around people. And I'm always – that's how I am, too. I'm always around people who are very – into their craft or whatever they do in life. They love what they do. They wake up every day with a smile and they go out and get it. And, get it. and, and I could even hate whatever somebody's doing, but as long as they have a, a passion for it, I can't, I can't do nothing to respect it. And that's her. So, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of her and we'll both continue to grow. And I feel like we're both uh, on the early stages of our career with tons of unlocked potential. So do you do the opposite of that? Like you want to be around people that are positive, that want to be great and that are willing to pay the price and learn their craft do you do the opposite? Like there are people that don't want to be great and there are people who are a-holes and there are people who are negative and they bring you down. Do you go out of your way to stay away from people like that? I kind of feel like I just sense it and it just happens. I'm not going to, I'm not one of those people like, ah, like just like ah, you're, you're, I'll, I'll always give people the benefit of the doubt to, to be able to change themselves because everybody needs uh, that type of encouragement. I'm not one to step over anybody because you don't know what's going on in their background or their life or whatever, but I'll give you a chance to, you know, change and, and let my positive energy, um, influence you. But if you end up bringing me down then you know, I'll slowly distance myself, I like that. Um, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to just see somebody, people have, people have other underlying issues that go on at home or that's happening in their lives. And if I'm a person that wants to be positive, I have to be able to bring everybody else along with me. I like so that. that's kind of how I see it. I like that. I respect that a lot. In fact, that's kind of a reminder to me. You're right. Like, we don't know. Everybody's going through something, and we don't know what everybody's going through at all, but something. Last thought. You said that Dragon Ball Z played a role in you being a football player. When did you first get into Dragon Ball Z, and how did that inspire you to become a football player? I think it was just like, I think one of my cousins kind of put me on, and literally all they did was train eat and they wanted to be like the best fighters available i'm like that's kind of that's my life today you know so um you can do nothing but respect it because no matter how hard if they lost the battle won a battle it was always about getting better and improving you know what i'm saying that's the i think that's a big theme in this not just dragon ball z was was anime and they ate tons of food they fought and i just i just fell in love with it and i mean my dad played football but he was he never wanted to push the sport on me and, you know, be overbearing. So, I mean, I would kind of like, you know, be fired up from watching the show and break everything in the house. And, you know, so I'm like, he let me get an outlet like football. And I'm, I think, you know, Dragon Ball Z kind of started that and pushed me towards, you know, getting out and being active and being some type of controlled violence. One last thought for you. Legend has it you've been known to lose your wallet sometimes. And it's gotten to the point that, quote, I put a note in there and it says, Hope whoever finds this is having a nice day. War Eagle. Dude, that is so good. If it's true. Is that true? And if so, what other strategies do you have for keeping track of your wallet? 
because, uh, all right, so I'm in the gym a lot, and I get, like, end up losing just tons of stuff with me, so I always lo- lose my wallet. Everything is true about that statement except for the last part you put in there. I wrote in there, please don't rob me. You know, you can't <laughs> rob somebody who's asking you not to. So, like, everything is true. As just, You forgot the please don't rob me part. All right, dude, I, I think it's a great line, but I'm guessing that if they're the kind of guy that would rob you, they're still going to rob you if you ask them not to, even if you ask them nicely. Yeah, you know, but, you know, just adding a, a little bit of something, maybe they laugh and giggle and be like, ah, I can't, can't take it. I think my but, favorite you know, part of that, though. Right. My, my favorite part, though, aside from is, hey, if you find this, I hope you're having a nice day, but I love that you tagged it, War Eagle, unless you tagged it, please don't rob me. No, there's War Eagle on there. It's just, uh, please don't rob me is also on there. Okay, I like it. He's a defensive end with the New York Jets. He signed with them in March. And as I said, coming off a really big year last year. Season opener at Carolina, September 12th. Carl, great job, man. Really good to have you on. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Have a great day. So the unknown came in 2020, and it changed the workplace forever. We know that. While some of us are getting back to the office, some of us find ourselves in a new normal at home. The future of work has changed, and so is the future of seating. X-Chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during this transition. And now X-Chair's newest innovation, LMAX Temperature Regulation, will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent-pending LMAX allows you to experience cooling, heat, and massage in your low back. Are you kidding me about the X-Chair? This thing is incredible. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you're working. It's crazy. If it sounds like I'm hyped on the X-Chair, it's because I am. What you need to do is go to xchairroam.com, xchairroam.com. That's the letter X chair roam.com or call 1-844-4x-chair and save $100 off your order x chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month go to xchair.com right now and use code x wheels for free x wheel blade casters x the big head On a Wednesday, massive game for both sides. You and I did disagree on game three. You took the Bucs and laid the points. I said Milwaukee would win, but Phoenix plus four was value that was too good for me to pass up. Then the Suns get the hell blown out. You win. I lose. I'm not going to make that mistake again, Head. I think Giannis is feeling it. I think he's getting it going downhill. He's attacking the rack. He's even making some free throws. And if the Suns want to pack it in on him, he is good enough and a capable enough passer out of the double and triple teams. And the Bucks do have the shooters to make you pay. So I'm giving you my pick before I get your pick. Head, I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. I'm going Bucks minus four. Bucks minus four in a game that they have to have. All of that said, Head, what's cracking? How you feeling? I'm feeling great, Jim Rome. I love your pick right there. Oh, okay. Tell me yeah. about it. Who do yeah, you like well, and why? Sorry, Suns fans. I, I know your numbers are incredible this season for the spread. Be the spread, but I'm going with Jim Rome here. And a few things I love for Milwaukee tonight, Jim. Home court being one. They are 8-1 and one this playoff run at home. Milwaukee, having the fans is enormous. They are some of the NBA's best. And this being their first two NBA Finals games since 1974, the place is more than juiced than ever. It also helps with those refs. Also, the Giannis factor that you just talked about, you mentioned, 
and there's shooters around him. Shooters shoot better at home for the most part. The Bucks certainly do. They shoot the ball 40% from distance at home this season, second best in the entire NBA. Also, the Bucks and Giannis going hard in the paint. It looked like they finally figured out how to use their size against the Suns. In game three, Giannis scoring at the rim and the entire team crashing the boards. They had seven more offensive rebounds than Phoenix did in game three outside of DeAndre Ayton. The Suns are in a lot of trouble right there. For the Suns, yes, Devin Booker has to shoot better. He's been inconsistent pretty much the entire playoff, but nobody is more important than Ayton for them. In a ga uh, game now dominated by small ball, look at the big fella's importance right now, Jim. They have no one who could spell him. He has to play 40-plus minutes for these guys to have a chance. The Suns and those spread numbers, they're a league best 71.4% as a road dog this year, but I'm going with you. Milwaukee minus four points. I'm going to say, bro, you, you sound like you know what you're talking about. There's some really good data in that. You make a really persuasive argument. Now, I know, hey, you and I do this, and if we're being really transparent, there are some picks that you and I make that we don't feel as strongly about as some of the others. You made a really persuasive argument. Do you feel really good about that? I or feel are you doing it because I said, I need a pick from you, head? Oh, no, I'm going to make a pick anyways, but I feel very good about it. I felt better about game three, but I still feel pretty damn good about this one in game four, man. Home court advantage. I'm telling you, without the fans because of the pandemic, a lot of people lose that, and especially the Bucks fans. They, <laughs> they that place is amped. wild. Yes, yes. It, it's wild. Aiton cannot get into foul trouble, or they no. got a real issue. And Book, he's got to get it going now. That's pretty clear. He's got to shoot the ball better. Really quickly, how big was it that Drew Holiday finally showed up and started to do what he does? You know, it's massive, and I know he's getting a lot of, obviously, hate on Twitter from a lot of people for comparing his shooting numbers to Eric Bledsoe's and them being very similar in the playoff run. But I will say about Drew, it was huge in Game 3 he got going, but also his on-ball pressure against Chris Paul – that has been very, very big. It throws the Suns off their uh, offense, getting them out of there. So he's done a lot better than a lot of people are um, going after him for. So I don't know. I love Drew, and that is a big, big uh, reason that Milwaukee's up to. I, I think that's down, a, or one game three. It's a massive game. It's a massive mm -hmm. game, not just for the series. It's a massive game for both of these franchises. I mean, as big a game as either one of them have had, not only in years, but maybe ever. Now, this does yeah. not mean, Heather, you're not coming back on Friday. Have you started your pre-NFL season research? Dude, I did. Uh, two weeks in Wisconsin, I finally got that NFL itch, and I'm starting to slam all these uh, articles, magazines, doing my research. I, I've got the bug. I can't wait for football season and college football season too, Jim. But NFL... I'm all over it right now. I cannot freaking wait for it, man. And I want to say one last thing. Had you and I talk more and more on this show about the industry, about gaming, about gambling, about lines. I'm telling you, man, this thing changes, and it changes so fast. It changes almost daily the way it works in the vernacular. In fact, I didn't share this with you really quickly. Mm -hmm. When I was in Wisconsin, so I've got a college-age kid. I've got a high school-age kid. And I'm not saying that I condone it. I'm saying all these kids were looking to get down. And part of it, they don't even know what the hell they're talking about. They just find prop bets. They find something to do during the games. It's like it makes the game better. It's social. They're doing it together. It's, I mean, it's really unusual to me, but I saw a lot of kids. And again, I'm not saying I condone that per se, but it's fascinating to me. 
that that young audience gets it and wants it. Do you sense any of that yourself? Right on their phone, right? I mean, half the thing. If they're not interested in the two teams, a couple things, right? A lot of times you're you're interested in that, but gambling of this just adds to the games that you're watching. And the guys that aren't interested in it, they're going to track a player like a prop, right? Points, rebounds, assists. There's so many props, especially for a game like tonight, that all these guys get into it because they could just you know dial it up right from their phone, get right after it. And you say it changes overnight. In two weeks that you're gone, just more and more money coming into this whole thing. I mean, it's changing faster than ever, and everybody's getting on board with this. That's it. That's why you and I are talking more and more about it on the program. All right, Head, you got right. bucks minus four, correct? That's it. Yep. Me, me too. Let's make some money. Nice job, Head. Appreciate Thanks, it. Jim. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak to a Dell Technologies advisor today. Michael Brockers is my guest. Michael, you and I have been talking for a long time, so it just seems really weird for me to introduce you as a member of the Lions instead of the Rams. How does it feel for you to hear that and to be a member of the Lions? Um, it feels great, man. Thanks for having me. Um, I mean, for me, I think the OTA time that we, we took out about that three weeks, I think that was perfect. I think, you know, for us to, um, you know, get with the coaches, get some work in, learn the scheme and kind of just feel everybody out. I think that really made a lot of people feel comfortable because I'm not the only one that this, you know, this team is um, a new team for them. So we have a new coaching staff. We have, you know, a bunch of new other, te- you know, other players on the team. So, um, it's the first time for, for us all to be together. But, you know, I think the OTA um, period that we had was, was great for us. All right, so I want to get into that because, for instance, there was a moment last year where it seemed like you might be going to become a member of the Ravens, and now you're officially a Lion. Mm-hmm. Like, it is part of the business, right? So few guys will start and end their career with the same team. But what's it been mm-hmm. like to go from an organization where you spent your entire career to suddenly going to a whole new team? Um, it feels it feels a little you know a little weird at first. It, it was you know just you know transitioning from the Rams and being you know being here. But once once I get locked in and you know it's all about ball football. I mean that's all the the biggest thing for me is you know being able to play the game I love um, and being able to you know hang with the guys. So like I said before, um, the OTA period really you know opened my eyes to the experience. So oh, I'm you know I'm wearing different colors. I got a different helmet different locker room and so forth but I mean I'm enjoying it I think the team is great I think the coaching staff is is awesome so um we're we're starting starting off on the right foot Michael Brockers is joining me once again all right so in terms of the coaching staff you've got Dan Campbell and he's in his first year as head coach and he of course went viral for that amazing press conference where he was talking about biting kneecaps and kicking opponents in the (laughs) teeth what's it been like to work with him so far and dude have you bitten any kneecaps yet um, I mean, working with him is awesome because he, he, he reminds me a lot of, of McVay and how he came in as far as, like, understanding that, man, it's, it's no ego when it comes to, to his coaching style. It's all about, um, you know, the team. It's all about, um, I don't want to use a statement from the Rams, but, like, it's a, it's a we, we not me mentality. Um, but, you know, it's, it's all about the team. It's all about what we can do to, to be better, what we can do 
um, to win more games, what we can do. So I like that aspect about his coaching is not, oh, I'm coming in here and I'm changing the team. It's more about – he, yeah, he does. He is coming in here. He's, in, you know, new coach, and he has a lot of expectations. But at the same time, he, he's expecting us as men to, to do our part, and I think that's what we love and what we respect about him. You know, it seems to me like what you're talking about is actual communication. Not, you know, not like BS right. communication, but like actual two-way communication where they actually care what you think. They want your feedback. They're listening. It seems like a small thing, but it's not. Like, why is that kind of communication and the way you communicate with pro players? Why is that so important? Well, from his from his perspective and a lot of coaches on our staff, and this is the first time I've been a part of a staff that has seven to eight, maybe double-digit coaches um, on our staff that has played in the league and has played for a long time, you know? So um, when, you, when you have that and you have that understanding that they have, they have an understanding of, of what we go through as players. So they understand that it's going to be tough. It's a, it's a grind, you know, it's the season – um, is, is, is a marathon. It's not a sprint, you know, and communication, uh, like you said earlier, is very, is vital. And the, the way you communicate is vital because a lot of guys don't want to be, um, you know, yelled at or screamed at or stuff like that, man. Some people just want you to just talk to them as a man, gain an understanding of what you're talking, to, talking about and what you're trying to teach. And then let's roll. I mean, a lot of, uh, of these players in the league, you know, we aren't, we aren't about a lot of BS, man. Just tell us what we got to do. Explain it to us in, in terms that we understand, and let's, let's, let's get the job done. Right. Like, for instance, if they're looking to get you to buy in, if they're looking to get you to follow, then they need to show you how you can be better, right? And then you will follow and you will buy in. And I think that's – and, and it's funny that you say that because you see a lot of that on the team now is a lot of guys coming from that ex- – ex you know uh patricia era and they're like man this this coaching staff understands this coaching staff talks to you they communicate with you and you see a lot of guys loving that and and buying in and when you have that man i've i've seen that turn around from uh four and twelve and then going to the playoffs the following years so um Man, I, I just think we're off on the right foot, like I said earlier. And, you know, it, it, it's definitely going to be exciting to, to move forward with this team. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. Michael Brocker's my guest. Because, for instance, you're not just going to a new situation. You're going from a team that was regarded as a Super Bowl contender to one that is viewed as a rebuilding team. Now, I get this, all right? New regime, new culture, new coaches, new players. I understand that it's different. But you know it's going to be a grind. And you're always going to give it what you have. Does it feel like your role changes in a new situation when you go from a team that was a contender and one that's trying to become one um not really i mean you know what that's what i love about the coaching staff dan um is that they they're allowing me to be myself and you know at the same time you know they're they're, they're putting a, a little bit of pressure on me that you'd lead a lot of these young guys and show them how to, to how to get things done and show them how to be a professional so it's kind of of the same you know similarity of, of what i was doing at the rams towards the end of my career where i was you know, kind of, you know, the leader of the team, kind of getting everybody together, keeping everybody um, on, on, on one mind, one focus. And, you know, that was just to win games, man. I think it's it's a simple concept, but once you just make it a simple concept, I mean, it's easy for everybody just to jump on board, man. It's, this game is all about winning. And uh, that's what everybody cares about. Michael Brockers is my guest. Let me ask you about the quarterback situation, because when you go to Detroit, that means you're going to rejoin Jared Goff. 
I know that when Matthew Stafford came to L.A., you were hyped about that, and then you connected with Goff to make sure that he understood and that you guys were good. So how much does it feel like you guys can teach your new teammates about what it does take to win in this league, the very thing you've been talking about? Right. I mean, you know, from the first from the first little instant that, that I found out I was going to Detroit, I made sure I hit him up just to make sure that we were on the same page and, you know, we had to understand, like, man, we know what it takes to turn this team around. We know what it what it looks like. Let's let's begin to do it. Let's lead. Let's show these guys. Not you know, trying to be extra. You know, you know. I don't know. Um, trying to be extra and trying to be on top of top of the guys and just you know, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I don't know what I'm trying to say. But you don't want to be arrogant. You don't want to. You know. I guess. Can I say bitch? <laughs> you can <laughs> say bitch. bitch. Players, but I mean. Um, but you know, you just you just want to be likable. You want to you know let every, all the guys understand that man. You're not trying to come in here and be no superstar, man. You're just trying to be one of the guys to get the, his job done to help the team out to win. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do. I know exactly what you're trying to say. So let me ask you this: Like, have you spent enough time there to get a sense of Detroit and what they're about? And the reason I mean, or the reason I bring that up, it's always been one of my favorite cities. All right, it's a, an extremely passionate fan base. They love that football town. You can call it hot. Hockey Town, you could talk about the World Championships, the Pistons have won, the Tigers have had success. I'm telling you, I've spent time in that town, Michael. They, that's a football town. That is legitimately a football town to me. Now, I'm a California native. Maybe I'm talking about my ass. Can I say ass if we can say bitch? Anyway, it, it's a football town. I know it is, man. They're so hungry. What would it mean to you to help build a winner in that town? Man, this is this would be awesome. I mean, I keep hearing it just as you stated, man. This is a football town. They love the team. They're passionate about the the team and where it's going, and you know, just the team in general. You have so many just downright just Detroit Lions fans. No matter how bad the team is doing, no matter how good the team is doing, they are Detroit Lions fans. And I think that's what I like about the city. Um, I like about the fans that that. They're going to support no matter what. And when you have a fan base behind you that's going to support you and really not put a lot of pressure on you, but just understand, like, you know, they're in there with you. Like, they're, they're, they're in that same game, the same seasons that, they, that you were part of, they're a part of. And I, I think that's what I love uh, the best about the fan base is that they're, they're in for the long, long run. And uh, it's not going to take long for us to, you know, turn this thing around. But it, it's definitely good to uh, – know that you know that the fan base is always behind you no matter what they are for sure i mentioned you hosted your youth football and cheer camp back in your hometown of houston over the weekend after having to postpone the camp last year how good did it feel to be back out there once again oh man that felt great it felt awesome man just to get back outside man the, the, the kids enjoyed it uh i think the parents enjoyed it a little bit more uh, you know getting the kids out on the field getting them a little tired um, we had food for them at the end of the camp. So, you know, the, the kids are a little sleepy and they're, you know, they're fed at the end of the camp. You no know, parents don't have to do too much work when they get back home. So um, the parents enjoyed it. The kids enjoyed it. Like I said earlier, man, it, it was a great turnout. Um, volunteers came out, showed their support, helped out uh, tremendously. And uh, it's just an all around great experience. Uh, a lot of, a lot of people who, who, who were at the camp, they, they came the other two years. So, it's good to know that um, the camp is doing well enough for people to keep coming back. And uh, that's what it's all about. And I'm um, looking forward to doing it again. Good for you. I can hear how excited you are about that and the passion you have for it. He's a defensive end now for the Lions entering his first year. 
And they open up against San Francisco on September 12th. Michael, always appreciate you. Always appreciate that conversation, man. Great to have you back. Thank you so much. Man, I appreciate you, Jim. Thanks for having me, Appreciate you, Michael, always. Irv Smith Jr. is my guest. Irv, it's good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great. How you doing, Jim? Good, Irv. Good. Listen, I want to talk to you about that camp, and I will, but I also know that you're hosting it in New Orleans this weekend. So in, I'll get to the camp, but I had Trey Turner on the show yesterday. He played his high school ball in New Orleans. You played at Brother Martin in New Orleans. There is so much amazing talent that comes out of that area. How do you explain that, and how would you summarize the football culture in the area? Yeah, you know it's it's a lot of talent. Trey's actually uh, it's one of my one of my good friends, one of my boys. So um, you know, shout out to him. But you know, he he went to St. Augustine. So that's one of one of our rivals. But you know, it's it's just a lot of talent and um, a lot of a lot of big time athletes that come out of New Orleans. And it's it's crazy because New Orleans is really it's, it's a small area. It's not too big. You know, what I'm saying it's not like Texas where you know what I'm saying you have Dallas and Houston and you know what I'm saying these big cities. It's just New Orleans we're talking about. So. Um, you know, the the guys that, I mean, even in my district that I played against in high school and, and schools, like, you know, St. Aug, Rummel, um, I mean, Jamar Chase went there, uh, Christian Fulton, um, just a lot of a lot of big-time guys that, you know, uh, are going to make a big impact in this league and have already made an impact in this league. Or if you answer that question almost exactly the way Trey did, like, it's a small area, but there's so much talent, everybody knows everybody, so many people are related to everybody, I, he answered that mm-hmm. question the exact same way. Now, you're in New Orleans, which means you're going to get some great food. I'm curious, and I love, I love hearing how athletes fuel themselves and how they approach nutrition, but we are talking about an area that's got amazing food. What's your favorite food when you're back home? Uh, when I'm back home, I have to say, you know, obviously crawfish um, is big. I'm bi- I'm a big seafood guy, so uh, I feel like we have the best seafood in the in the country for sure. I'll say, you know, crabs, crawfish, shrimp. Um, get me a pub or something, you know, any, anything in that in that regimen. I see it working. I think it makes sense. And the reason I'm setting that up like that is, at the same time, your cousin is graduating from Tulane. She's a registered dietitian, and she worked out all of your nutrition for your meals. What's that been like, and how important is it to have that right diet and the right fuel to run on for your body for recovery and everything else? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, um, my cousin, she's she's done an amazing job of kind of educating me and stuff. You know, in college uh, at Bama, they did a good job of, um, you know, implementing all of that. But it's just so many guys and stuff like that, you know what I'm saying? So now it's just more dialed in, and she really tapped into exactly everything that, or like everything that I need, you know, in terms of, okay, how many calories do I need to intake, how many uh, how much protein, you know, how my smoothies, my shakes, um, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, in between snacks, all of that. So it's just like it, having that, not even just to not have to worry about, but then also you getting the best things in your body and you get to perform at the at the highest level possible. So, I mean, for me, it's, it's a game changer. Um, it's something that's a, a lifestyle change for me, for sure. I was going to say, it's a lifestyle thing, and it's your moneymaker and body is temple. you got to do it. People around the team have noticed that you're bigger, you're stronger, so it seems to be working. I mean, do you allow yourself even a cheat meal once a, once in a while, or is it just clean, <laughs> burning fuel all the time with no days off? Uh, You know, I mean, everything's in moderation. Um, I mean, I've, I've been a pretty healthy eater. I've just been trying to stay away from fried foods as much as possible. Um, like for my cheat meals. So like 
uh, I'll go get some Thai food or something and, you know, get some Pad Thai or, like, go get some sushi or something. Um, the worst the worst I'll do, I had, like, a shrimp po' boy the other day. So uh, that was that was my biggest cheat meal for, for a little minute. But, you know, you got to treat yourself and everything in moderation. Got to. Irv Smith Jr. joining us. All right, so some of your workouts that I've seen during the offseason include running up the levee, pushing cars, like, how tough are the workouts, and then how much is that about making you physically tougher as opposed to just building up that mental toughness, that mental toughness groove in the brain? Yeah, most definitely. I feel like, you know, you want to you wanna put the work in at the end of the day. You want to get the most out of your body, and especially, you know, the long NFL season. Um, my trainer uh, that I'm actually doing the camp with, NXT training, um, Nat, I've been training with him since probably I was, like, 15. So um, he knows me very well, and he knows things that I need to improve on and the things that, you know, I'm good at. So, I mean, we're just big on speed and just, just getting better every day. I mean, we was just on the sand this morning for like three hours. Um, and then, like, I'm on the sand probably three three times a week. And then once we go to the, we go to the field once a week and it's like I'm floating, you know what I'm saying? So it's just it's just awesome having, like, different things and doing different, uh, doing different exercises, like you said, pushing the cars and running up the levee and stuff just to switch it up and, you know, shock your body in different ways. I like that. Irv Smith Jr. joining us. Now, you think of the Vikings, you think of that position, you think of Kyle Rudolph. He's no longer with the team. So outside the locker room, the expectation seems to be that you're now officially the man. What's that feel like for you? Does the season feel like it's going to be different than the ones that came before it because of that? How are you approaching it? Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know, obviously, um, I'm going to be having a bigger workload. Uh, I've been hard on myself um, in the past, but you know, I feel like this is this is definitely gonna be my best year uh, in all aspects of my career: college, NFL, high school, everything. So, um, I just been I just been preparing to, you know, be the best tight end I could be, to be the best, uh, you know, the best. I want to be the best. Period. So, um, whatever I got to do to help my team win and get the most out of myself, and um, you know, at the end of the day, the goal is to win the championship. So. You know, that's, that's all that's on my mind and, you know, all the other accolades and stuff that I want to accomplish, um, hopefully I'll accomplish as well. All right, so a few more things before I let you go. You're looking at an offense that's got some really explosive weapons, serious weapons. You've got Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, you. I mean, there are some playmakers all across the field. How explosive can this group be, and how good can this Viking team be overall? You're talking about a championship. Are we talking about a team that's championship good right now? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm so excited about this team. I've obviously played with... You know, playing at Bama, played with, um, you know, some of the top talent, some of the top guys in the country. Um, but, you know, at this level, I feel like, you know, we have the best group, honestly. Um, you know, Justin was just a rookie last year, and the impact that he's made just in that first year without, you know, any preseason, any OTAs, and none of that. So, for, I'm very excited for him. I mean, Thielen, he's proven. He's done it year in, year out, and, you know, he's only getting better as well. And Dalvin, obviously, is I mean, top top one of the top backs in the league, and you know Kirk's been Kirk's been doing his thing and throwing the ball at a very efficient level. So, you know myself, I feel like the sky's the limit. Really, I mean, I don't think anybody would be able to stop us offensively. Um, last year, we got a little. I got to see. You know, we were t- still a top five offense, but you know this year we're coming for that number one spot.
Yeah, I want to ask you something. Like, the way you're handling this, if somebody did not know your background that well, like they knew of you but didn't know your background, they may not know that you're going to be 23 this year, that you're entering year three. You don't sound like somebody who's only three years in. I'm kind of curious, have you always been kind of like that, or how much of this was about going through that Alabama system and learning how to be a pro? Uh, You know, Bama definitely, uh, you know, just shaped me up for, you know, for this next level for sure. I mean, when I was, I got drafted when I was 20 years old, um, and, you know, I didn't, I was 21 my my rookie year and obviously 22 last year. So, um, you know, I just I just try to take the right approach and you know just take a take be a pro at the end of the day. But um, Coach Saban he did an amazing job of just getting getting us ready at the end of the day. We wanted to be the best uh, at all times. We wanted to dominate and you know it's about your mindset at the end of the day. It is about your mindset at the end of the day. That's my favorite thing, actually. Like, how do you work on your mindset? Like, if if you have to work every important muscle and the mind is the most important muscle, how do you go about developing your mindset and working that muscle? Uh, you know, just trying to keep the keep the right like group of people around you that are on the same wavelength. Um, you know, just hanging out. Like, I spend a lot of time with my family, um, read books. You know, just anything that I can to, to help better myself, not only physically but mentally as well and you know obviously having a relationship with god all just everything um yoga just spiritual all kind of different things really but um at the end of the day if you want to be the best and if that's your mindset then you got to do the the little things to to do that it just doesn't happen overnight dude you are about the right stuff like when you say you read books like who and what do you read uh actually i got I've been like this this past off season. I've probably like been reading like three different books. One's called uh, "Be Your Best Self." Um, one's called uh, I got a I got this yoga book that I like. I've been reading that um, the guy who like he's basically like a guru of yoga. He's like ninety five years old, and he like in a he's like in amazing shape. Does yoga every day, and he's like ninety five, and so just like different stuff like that to you know just help strengthen your mind and you know not not get down like you know what i'm saying with everything going on in the world you want to stay positive and you want to be the best version of you at the end of the day i love that that is so good that is so smart i love that i'm all about that so you're hosting the we the change camp it's saturday at tad gormley stadium what's the camp all about and what do you want the campers to take away from the experience uh, so i mean the camp my foundation is called uh, we the change so I mean, at the end of the day, we just want to be a positive impact to my community um, of New Orleans and so forth. So basically just we want the kids to, you know, come have fun, um, work hard. And, you know, at the end of the day, New Orleans is uh, like there's not too many, I'd say, positive influences going on in the city. You know, um, it's very high, high in crime and, um, you know, a lot of the kids come from poverty, so. You know, I just want them to have a positive impact and know, you know, it's possible not just in football to make it, but in, in life in general, whether you want to be a doctor, you know, a teacher, anything. But, you know, just stay stay, stay in a positive aspect and um, just show them that anything is possible. Good job. Good for you. One last thought. Or if you were part, I'm fascinated by this. This is like the era, the generation of great, great tight ends. You were at the tight end university a few weeks back. What was that experience like? And I'm really curious, why are guys so willing to share what they know with each other in such a cutthroat competitive environment? 
Uh, it was it was an awesome environment, honestly. Um, you know, I can't wait for next year again because it was it was super cool. Kittle, Kelsey, uh, Greg Olson, they did a great job of putting it together, and you know, it was obviously all the top top tight ends in the league that were there. So we just got to pick each other's brain and talk football. Um, you know, I feel like obviously the tight end position is is upbringing and it's it's um you know it's, it's only getting better and bigger. But I feel like it's definitely been slept on in the past. And, you know, I feel like as tight ends, we're not just slow receivers or, you know what I'm saying, bigger receivers or, or or blockers or anything. Like, I feel like we're weapons. And, you know, you can put a guy uh, anywhere on the field and, and make a play. Oh, heck no, man. Serious weapons. Really serious weapons right about now. And you are one of them. He's entering his third year in the NFL. He is going to host the We the Change camp. It's Saturday at Tad Gormley Stadium. You've got the Vikings opening up at Cincinnati on September 12th. Irv, great to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Great talking to you. Appreciate it. Good night now!